0: You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org, or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. How you feeling? Warming? We're nice and toasty inside now? We didn't get the heaters on the front porch yet. That's It's coming. We'll, we'll fix that for you. Well, hey, we're excited that you're here with us this morning. We're going to sing to the Lord together. I would say stand, but you just did it. Like Pavlov's dog just, just responded. Well, good job, everybody. We're going to sing together now. He's our rescuer, he's our rescuer, we are free
1: from sin forever. to life. Oh, and how your grace and mercy, it's its so powerful. It's so thick. It's there every day when we wake up. It's, it's made new every day. God, we give you praise and we give you thanks for that.
0: something that we not just sing, not just lift our hands to, but got something we actually believe and say with our heart, that even in our moments of doubt, even in our struggles and our trials, that we would number our days, we would walk in the manner that you have called us to, a manner worthy of the calling of the gospel, and that when we doubt you, we would still praise your name, we would seek you, we would seek to follow your will, and God, we would be obedient to it, even in our deepest trials. Father, we love you and pray these things in your name this morning. Amen. Well, hey, everybody. I'm not Mike, but I'm also not preaching this morning, so you're lucky. Consider yourselves lucky. Uh, I have an awesome privilege this morning. Uh, I didn't know this until like Tuesday. The, did you know today is International Missions Day? World Missions Day. It's a thing apparently. It's a biblical holiday. Who knew? Um, so today is World Missions Day and I have an awesome opportunity of introducing um, some very dear friends of mine. I have known uh, this couple since 2007. So long time. I like. I guess I could joke with... Brittany, and say um, that I lived with her husband before she did, because um, my, my first summer working, first working at Snowbird, we lived in a canvas army tent on a wood platform all summer. It was smelly, <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I've known these folks for a long time. They're very good friends of mine, uh, and so I'm super excited that we've been able to partner with them in the last couple of years uh, overseas in missions, uh, and I'm super excited that they're here to share with you guys what has been happening with them and kind of the craziness of their life. Uh, in Central Africa, which is weird. So, uh, if you guys would, um, give a big hand for Blue and Britt, as I know, I know him as Blueberry, his real name is Jeffrey, but I know him as Blueberry, so can I pray for you before we start? Yeah. Cool. God, I thank you for this long-lasting friendship and for the work of the gospel with the words I ask God that, has uh, Jeffrey shares with us this morning, that, uh, we would be encouraged by the work of the gospel that, that you are doing in Chad through them, uh, and that we would figure out new ways to partner and encourage and invest in the ministry of the gospel in Chad. Father, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
2: It's this I want you be done.
3: Good morning. Okay. Um, yeah, as Justin said, uh, everyone calls me Blue, or Blueberry. Uh, it's not a good story, I wore a blue shirt once. Um, I grew up here in western North Carolina, uh, closer to Boone, but uh, uh, it was freshman year of high school, went to my, my football workout, none of the seniors or upperclassmen knew my name. I was wearing a blue shirt, we were, I played for Avery County, we are black and red, and, and uh, that's, that's it. They started calling me Blueberry, and it stuck. I remember walking through the halls, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's Blueberry. And I was like, oh, that's my name now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's followed me. It, it seems to fit well. My real name, like Justin said, is uh, is Jeff. I don't go by that very often, and, uh, but I don't mind it. I actually just spoke at my uh, my grandparents' church last week, and and I was like, this is Really weird for me because this is one of the few places in this world that actually knows me as Jeff. Um, and so I went by Jeff last week. So I've done it recently. Uh, feel free to call me whatever you want. Um, I'm very blessed. Uh, you can actually go to the next page because um, our family has gotten a little bigger. We wanted to show you a picture of us in Chad first, but uh, my wife is kind of sitting in the middle here. Her name's Britt. And we are blessed to have three little boys. Um, if. Uh, those of y'all that have kind of followed our story for a while, you may know, uh, in 2014, we moved to Mauritania, which is uh, on the west coast of Africa. It's, it's completely Sahara Desert. It's the size of Texas and New Mexico, but don't feel bad if you don't know where it is because no one does. Um, but uh, So we lived there, and we were blessed to have a little girl while we were there, um, and unfortunately, she was born about nine weeks early. And she survived for five weeks in intensive care units in in a little island, a Spanish-owned island in an EQ. but um, ultimately she passed away. That was baby Ava. Uh, I say that just to say I know a lot of people have followed our story through the years, and maybe you connect us with baby Ava a little bit more than you do just uh, this picture of people that you haven't seen. Uh, Because I will admit, we started to drive to the wrong church building this morning. It's been a while since we've been here, Um, and y'all are in a new location for us. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so all of that's just introductions. It, it has been a while, but we've been very, very blessed. Uh, we can go to the next slide. We've been serving in Chad, Africa lately. Um, so we came to this point uh, while we were in Mauritania where we just realized we really had a heart to be sharing the gospel openly, um, and our team was very, very medically minded. We were working at a hospital. My wife's a nurse, and I was doing a lot of odd and, and jobs um, and uh, we just we were not actively sharing the gospel. So we wanted to go and be trained among a team that was doing it and doing it well. So we moved to Chad, which also you may not know where it is or have heard of it. It's Central Africa. It's very, very poor. Um, they had found some oil, so there, there was some, some cash that came into the country, um, but that's, for the most part, died off, and it's landlocked. It doesn't have a lot of natural resources. Again, we're living in a desert land, so it's just very dry, um, doesn't have a lot going for it. Uh, but what it does have is uh, 180 different people groups, um, which the, what we mean by people groups are people that are, uh, they have their own culture. Oftentimes they have their own language, um, their own way of doing life. And, and for us, our goal is to reach into people groups that have zero Christians or, or almost no Christians and, and share the gospel. That's, that's a big part of what we want to do as church planters in Africa, um, so, Chad has a lot of people groups. Now, interestingly, uh, with that, they have over 100 languages um, spoken. There's 100 different heart languages. So, there's a lot of work in Chad. Uh, we are blessed to have a very large uh, Wycliffe base doing Bible translations among a lot of these people groups and, and trying to get the Bible in, into each and every one of their languages. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a big work. And with that, uh, within Chad, about 60%, three-fifths of the the country, is Islamic. And it it makes for a really unique experience because uh, for the most part, we live in the northern part of our city, and and there's like a geographical line that if you go north of this line, it just becomes 99% Muslims. And that's where we live. Um, That's true of the country itself, and it's true of the city. But we're very blessed because that bottom, you know, two-fifths, Math is hard, fractions. Um, that bottom section, they, uh, they, they call it Christian pagan. I don't, those things don't really mix together, but that's what everyone just refers to it as. Uh, as best we can tell, it's about um, a quarter Christian, evangelical, and about a quarter of the population there is also uh, Catholic. And then about half is, is just the pagans. And they lump them all together because they're Muslim, and that's how they view everything that, that's not Muslim. Um, but what is a huge blessing from that? Because there's such a large population of Christians in the southern part of the country and they promote religious freedom. We are there partnered with the local church and we're able to go freely under missionary visas and share the gospel openly. Um, so we've been doing that for the past, uh, past several years. We've been in Chad for over three years now. Uh, next slide. Um, so this is our team. We didn't have great pictures to show of our team. Uh, as you might expect, we don't, yeah, we don't get together, uh, and take family photos or whatever, um, but we are currently five units, uh, it's, it's my family, another family of six, um, they have three little girls and, and their youngest is a boy who's my oldest best friend, um, and then, uh, we have three single ladies, one who is currently transitioning off the field, um, and uh, this past year, we've hosted some other people and, and had different people a part of their team, uh, a part of our team, but they've transitioned into various other roles throughout Chad. And our mission is to, to see accessible MBB churches. By MBB, I mean Muslim background believers. So these are, are Muslims that have come to faith in Christ, uh, and we want to see them have churches planted in our city, in N'Djamena. We're in the capital city of Chad, which is about a million people. Um, and to serve alongside the village teams uh, in, in the, our country to help see them thrive. So uh, the, the goal in the heart is, for the most part in our country in, in, or, I'm, I'm sorry, in our city, and in Jamina, we have uh, three Arabic speaking churches, which the majority of the Muslims do speak Arabic. Uh, again, they have some other heart languages and things. Um, but Arabic would be the language that they would go to church in. I would, I would like very evidently. And we have three arabic speaking churches but for the for those churches they're not muslim background believers they're these christian areas in the country um, that are also arabic speakers that have kind of formed these churches and as far as we have seen in the city and and in the country in general there's just there's no place for muslim background believers mbb's to fellowship and they, they, there's nowhere there where they can go and, and this feels right this feels comfortable they go into these southern churches, and the singing and maybe the dancing, uh, much like it does with my, uh, my pretty conservative mountain Baptist roots, uh, It makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And they're the repetitive songs over and over. and um, Yeah, they, just, they go in, and they don't feel comfortable. It's not a place for them. Um, that's not to say that they can just exit and not go, but we really, really desire to see churches that they feel comfortable in, uh that they can walk to even not that they would have to go a, a 35 minute bus ride across town to get to um and that's our prayer to the lord and we would ask that you join us in praying that we'll keep going through these i'm going to go through them pretty quick now um these are just snapshots of life um chad has about a a 3 month um cold season uh and there's 2 months of rainy season and seven months of hot season, and it's hot. It's just really, really hot. Um, Electricity, especially during hot season, pretty much in general, it's not very consistent, but for us in the capital city, you would think, okay, they at least have some luxuries like power. Um, During hot season, we maybe have 30 hours of power a week. Um, It'll come on in the middle of the night and go off by about 6 a.m. most days, and it's like, what, did did we have it? (laughs) Um, My phone's actually charged, I guess so. And uh, so for us, we just, we strive to live life among the locals and and our friends and neighbors. Um, So we're still learning uh, Chadian Arabic, and I think we probably always will be um, continuing to learn the language. And and we just go out and we visit with people and and share life with them. Um, You can go to the next slide. So uh, yeah, again, I'm I'm not going to explain every picture, but it does just kind of give you some more and more pictures. Um, There in the Top right is a picture of my wife. Uh, she's the very white one. Um, and uh, she's wearing the uh, uh, lafay. Um, sorry, we've, that word's changed a couple times on us. Um, but she's wearing kind of the traditional outfit. Thankfully, she doesn't have to wear full black with the face covering. Um, they can wear very colorful ones. And you, there's a couple of pictures of different lafays throughout this um, that you can see. Uh, but uh, that was just like a social event. It was a wedding where some good friends of hers were like, we really want to celebrate this. Let's all get matching fabric. And they all made the same outfit, just like we would in the States, right? Everybody wants to dress the exact same. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, that's just kind of life for us. And, and it's just being a part of the culture. And um, in the top left there, you can see a picture of, of it was actually my wife and our teammate, a uh, single gal. Um, she uh, or they were were doing the story session with some it was a really poor family so they were going in and they were just doing stories from the bible and since this family is illiterate they were memorizing the stories together and then they would be challenged to go on and share them and ask questions what can you learn about god what can you learn about yourself um, so that was just a general part of life there uh bottom left or i'm sorry middle left is actually, uh, it's a picture you probably can't see. Well, it's not bad over here. It's kind of dark over there. Um, that's uh, uh, that's actually in our house. We had all these couches and things. And uh, we're blessed to do some movie nights. And uh, um, again, a part of our heart is to serve some of the teams that just live in the village. Uh, so these folks don't have uh, anything other than solar power. And they come in and, and do grocery runs. They have to come into the Capitol to do paperwork. And Um, Some of our teams have to drive two full days just to get back to the capital city Um, So life for them can be pretty hard and we like to host them and have movies and and dinner together and things and just fellowship and um, My wife is is uh, very very social. I'm not always as much, but uh, uh, We're both uh, very blessed with hospitality. I like to cook food, which we'll get into in a bit. So uh, We use that to serve our team the bottom two pictures. um are just Marcus folks that, that we've been blessed to be in ministry with, The group of guys sitting in a circle. That was a Bible study we got to be a part of, and as far as I know, it's one of the first times that men from different people groups that are all Muslim background believers came together just to, uh, to study the Bible together. There's a lot of tension, a lot of racial uh, tension in Chad, a lot of hostility and, and struggle because of that, um, and uh, we were really blessed to see these guys come together and just be willing to uh, meet together, study the Bible, listen to each other. And there were some really, really great deep questions asked. And then uh, the bottom other picture is my wife with some actual local believers. These are southern gals, but they, uh, they, have, a really, uh, they have a heart for Muslims as well. And, and they're living in the northern part of the city seeking to, to be faithful. So, next, next picture. picture. Um, for those of y'all that have been following, we, uh, we do want to just thank you so much. And, and ask that you would continue to pray. Uh, this past year has been pretty, pretty high tension in Chad. <coughs> um, at one point, if you were following our story, rebels marched on the city in Jemina. They didn't actually make it there. <coughs> um, but they, uh, they did come, and they were armed. And <coughs> thank you so much. Um, I don't know what's happening. It's so scratchy. Uh, they were armed and, and coming for the city. I remember my wife was actually on the other side of town doing a ladies' fellowship and, uh, with our teammate's wife, and he was like, I'm going to go get our wives because we had no idea what was happening. Long story short, they never made it, but somehow the president died in the fighting. Um, we don't know exactly what happened. I think it could have easily been a political assassination. Then they used the, the rebels to give him an honorable death. Uh, because the, he actually comes from a warring people, so they would have celebrated him dying while fighting. Um, we don't know, but, uh, for us that meant, oh man, we really need to pay attention to what's happening and maybe take a strategic vacation. We ended up leaving the country for a month just because we didn't know how the turnover for, for the leadership was going to go. Uh, Chad has been very, very stable for a couple decades now because they've had one president. And uh, he's been in charge for a long time, but we just had no idea how it was going to go. So we really, really appreciate your prayers just through that season. It was a really hard season for us. In hindsight, we didn't need to leave and, and things went fairly smoothly, um, but we didn't know that at the time and it was just really stressful. Um, and I'll say just moving forward, uh, there's still a lot of tension against French uh, folks. Um, they were colonized by, the, uh, by France and they're still used as a strategic military area by, by France. And um, the people really just hate the French. Uh, and we're white and they assume that we're French pretty often. Um, we've had people yell at us. I actually was riding on the back of a motorcycle taxi once and had a guy go, hey, is that guy French? And thankfully the guy driving me, uh, he was one of my neighbors, and he's like, he's American, and they were like, oh, okay, and it all just blew off, but I mean, the ladies on our team especially have been yelled at multiple times just while out and about because people just assume they're French, so tension's still high, and uh, we're still waiting to see. There was supposed to be an election in the coming months of a new president, and it's already been postponed, um, but we're waiting to see how that actually plays out, if there's going to be a fair election, and, and how it's going to go with uh, with things uh with the new leadership stepping in so we do just ask that you would continue to pray for the leadership of chad and the the stability that would allow us to just remain in the country um and we thank you for your prayers so far next slide um real briefly i'll say and i'd love to talk to y'all more about this if you have any interest but uh this past season i was blessed to open a pizza restaurant um the food in chad is terrible they They, eat this this stuff stuff called esh. It's It's basically Play-Doh texture uh, made out of ground millet and you dip it into green weird sauces that are slimy. Um, And so it's honestly not that bad, but it's not very good. So I I really like I was looking around and we're in the capital city. You would think we'd have at least one chain restaurant or something. Nothing. Um, So I was looking for a way that I could get more into the community and and maybe use some business to, uh, to help uh, folks, and, and the idea of a pizza restaurant came up, and, and I realized it would be a viable idea because the food's so terrible. I was like, even if I don't make great pizzas, I'll still set the bar a little higher. Um, and uh, on top of that, we offer delivery food, which is just not offered anywhere else. Um, so we started this as a business, and, and you can see, uh, we didn't put his face on, but uh, there, the guy in the top left there, Um, he's my closest friend and he's been my business partner through this. And it's been a really cool time just getting to know him better. And, uh, towards the end of our time, he really wants to study English. So he said, Hey, can we study the Bible in English? And, um, we started going through the book of John together. And he actually, I just got a message from a, uh, family that's been living in our house and they've gotten to know him and he's been asking a lot of questions about the gospel. So it's just... I, I share all that to just say uh, it's given me a lot of opportunity to rub shoulders with, with other men in the community, other business owners, my suppliers, my customers, whoever it might be, um, and it's just for the intentions of just sharing the bread of life, to, to be intentional in sharing the gospel, um, and that's just been a new opportunity that has popped up in the past year, and, and I've been really excited about. Um, I really like working. Uh, and just going out and sitting down with neighbors has been a a big stretch for me. It's not the easiest thing to just go and build these relationships and as an evangelist share the gospel. Um, So this is giving me a lot of practical opportunities for that. Um, Next slide, I think. Uh, Yeah, so that's just kind of the wrap-up. That's all I'm going to share, just kind of on our spill of Chad. Uh, I had no idea. You would think the missionaries would know. Uh, that it was International uh, Mission Day or whatever, but I had no idea. But I will say we are so blessed to have y'all partnering with us as as a church and um, some individuals. And yeah, we live admittedly in a hard place, um, but the, the thing that comes to mind the most as I, I've been visiting churches and things, a lot of times it feels like you're kind of put up on a pedestal where uh, a lot of people will celebrate you, and they're like, oh, yeah, look at these guys. You know, they are, they're living in Chad. They're living in the desert. They're in Africa. They're learning language, whatever. Like, but the, the main thing I can say is um, we are not special. <laughs> we just aren't. And that's been emphasized more and more over this past season. It's been a really hard season for us. And uh, I think the thing that, that Britt and I come back to the most is the gospel still worth it. Um, I don't know this, this lady that was singing up here, but I was so struck when she prayed and she said, your grace and your mercy is thick. You know? Um, what, a, what a cool picture. And then right after that we started to sing as a church. Teach me to number my days. And, and I was just so, so struck by that because I, I really feel like that's the heart of my message today. That, that the gospel is worthy. As, as, as Justin even said later, like let us walk in a manner worthy. That's actually, it's, you know, straight out of Ephesians 4. And if you want, if you have your Bible, I hope you do. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians 3. You can go ahead and turn over there. Um, But for Britt and I, like I said, we had this transition period in our ministry where we realized, okay, the gospel is so worth it. And and a lot of that was built around our, our little baby girl. You know, we went through the hardest time in our lives, it was without a doubt just unbelievably difficult watching our little girl with just tubes and everything on uh, in the NICU, just holding our baby and looking at her and knowing, man, our days could be limited, especially our days overseas. At that point, you know, I, in the heart of it, uh, I definitely can admit there were times where we we're like, I don't know if we're ever going to get out of this NICU. Um, and, and it was really, really difficult. But there were, there were other times where we were like, okay. Seems like she's actually progressing and, and maybe we're going to get home. But does that mean that we're just going to be in, in uh, the States for the rest of our days? Like, she was very sick and it looked like she would always need uh, life support or, or different interventions to keep, and, and she would need uh, very high medical care. So we're like, is this it? Is this the end of our time as missionaries? And we really had no idea. And, uh, and so from that, we were just struck so much with, uh, the gospel's worth it. And we have to be proactive in sharing the gospel. We have to be a proactive in, in moving forward. Um, I share this, I think every time I speak, I just can't get away from it. Uh, but if you look in Ephesians two, that's not where we're going to be today, but it's my favorite passage in all of scripture. And it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins when you think about that, you know, when, when we, ultimately after five weeks, when, when my wife was holding our daughter, uh, we got a call from, from the hospital, and um, we rushed there. We were actually visiting with some friends who had come to visit us, and we rushed to the hospital, and we, we held our daughter as she passed away, and, and I remember, like, looking down at this little girl, and and knowing our God is big enough to, to raise her from the dead, but not knowing how that all works and, and just praying and, and whatnot. And, uh, I just share that to say, like, when you look at a, a dead body, you know that it's dead. Like, there is hope for, for those of us who know the one true God, both in eternity and in the present, because God can do whatever he wants. But we can't. So when we held our little girl, or, or even I remember... Um, at Snowbird, we had, uh, there was a year where there was a car accident and we had four staff members pass away. And for me, I was actually at one of the hospitals where one of the guys uh, had been taken and I was asked to go in the back and look at the body and just kind of identify the body. And I remember I was, I was so struck because this is the first time I looked at a dead body and I was looking at a guy who I'd become friends with and, and I was just looking at the lifelessness. There's nothing that he can do. to to sit up and come back to life. And yet that's how Paul chooses to describe us in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses without hope in this world. There's nothing you can do, nothing your mama or daddy can do, nothing anyone can do to get you to sit up. And yet by verse four, he says, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And, and I've uh, personally, the way that, that my faith has gone, especially through losing a child and, and continuing on the mission field, I've realized more and more that when Paul in Ephesians 6 goes on to say, put on the helmet of salvation, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, take that reality right there. Take the fact that, but God, you were, you were already dead. You were without hope. There's nothing you can do in this world. But God. He did it. He made you alive, and you wear that on your head, and because of that, you can walk forward every day. No matter what trial, no matter what temptation you're standing in, no matter what's going wrong in your life, the fact that he did that means that, that at some point, we're going to step into eternity, and we're going to see our daughter. It means that there's hope for the future. There's hope, and this world is, is that momentary affliction, and, and it doesn't feel that way. Anyone that's suffering and going through hard times, I don't, I don't make light of that. And as a church, I pray that you all would grieve with those who grieve and that you would mourn and together and, and that you would suffer together and, and walk through life faithfully and that you would also rejoice with those who rejoice and, and have great joy, uh, joy with one another. Um, but the reality is we we're able to do that because God already did this and he made us alive and uh we're gonna fast forward through all of this section i love it so much it's hard for me to give up the book of ephesians is my favorite i don't know if you can have favorite books of the bible but i do um and uh so we're fast forwarding through all of this and you know you have this amazing amazing uh recounting of the gospel but god he made you alive and and then he goes on and he talks about the unity that we have in christ and there's all these ones um, that he talks about through uh, chapter 2. And, and one of the coolest things, and, and I'll share really briefly, uh, one of the things that he says in that is um, he talks about Jew and Gentile, and, and I'm not going to get into these verses a ton, but I will ask you all to pray them over Chad. There's so much racial tension among Jews and Gentiles. If you look at it historically, they hated each other. Um, when the Jewish people would leave a Gentile land, Uh, they would brush the dust off of of themselves before they, or as they stepped into um, Israel, as they stepped into their own nation, because it wasn't even worth it to have the dust still on you. Like, you got to make sure you're clean from that filth. So they hated these people, and there was such a division and a wall of hostility. And yet, in Ephesians, Paul says that dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. It's gone. There's a unity that comes with Christ that cannot come in any other way. And it's amazing, um, and and that's our prayer for Chad I, again. There's 180 people groups. Most of them have been fighting each other for centuries. Like they they oftentimes hate each other, and, and there's a lot of tension. But we know that by the gospel, those dividing walls of hostility can be torn down, and and that's what was so cool about that one picture at the bottom that I, I mentioned. Where it was the first time that a group of men from different people groups were studying the Bible together? Um, so we, we would ask that you continue to just uh, join us in praying, God, please do this. Please, please uh, break down the walls of hostility and bind these Muslim background believers in unity. So I'm going to jump in. Uh, we're going to start in verse 14, and this is just a prayer for spiritual th- uh, strength. And, and like I said, I, I think the thing that I've been so hammered by uh, recently is there's nothing special about us. And, and honestly, there's I'm, some of y'all, I'm sure all of y'all are probably wonderful, wonderful people, but we're just not special. Like, we're, we're people just like everyone else, and yet God chose to, to save you if, he, if you are, are His in Christ, and He's choosing to use you, and you're able to bind together with the church in unity, and, and um, it's an amazing, amazing thing. So verse 14 says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul, who was probably the greatest missionary uh, who ever lived, he says he bows his knees. He's just constantly, if you look at his epistles, he's always praying. And, and I, I pray that we as a church would be uh, a church that prays, that, that Britt and I would be people who pray, and, and that that would be a huge part of our ministry. So I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. There's a lot in that statement. Um, if you just think about it, every every family on heaven and on earth who is named. Uh, I think that's really pointing to the ownership. God owns each and every one of us. This is pre-salvation. Um, this is whether you're a believer or not. Every family on heaven and earth is named. There's, there's a lot in a name. My family name is Worth. Uh, so my, my full name is Jeffrey Worth, and... For whatever reason, the most common first name in my family is less. Um, so if you ever get official mail, any of those members of my family, it always says "worthless," which I just think is a bad idea. Uh, worth comma less. Um, but uh, you know, I say that just to share. Like there's a lot in a name, even to start this off, I shared my name, which is confusing because I go by blue, blueberry, Jeff, whatever it might be. and uh, uh, but the Lord has given us names. Our, our parents gave us names. Other people go on to give us nicknames. And, and there's significance and there's meaning behind it. But what this is saying that no matter what those names are or what your family name is, where you come from, it's because God created this world and he gave you a place in it. You're owned by him. Before salvation, he has every, every right to you. And he, he goes on to say that according... Uh, so every family in, in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being. So Paul's prayer is that you would have power through the spirit of God, that, that we as a church would have power. And what, what I really want to look at is, is these next couple of verses that emphasize what does he want us to have this power for? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, Okay, we're believers. Like that that just happens, right? Like, why do we need extra power for that? That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. That again, why? Why is Paul's prayer that we would be strengthened for that? Like we we've known the gospel right like Like, this amazing amazing news you were dead in your sins and trespasses but god like that's it right if the switch flip you have the spirit of god inside of you you know his love and there's this amazing thing that happens right that's it no that's not there's this amazing thing called sanctification where we get to walk every day towards christ and, and whenever we're struggling and it's hard and, and it feels like the enemy's weighing us down and we can barely move, we keep our eyes focused on Christ. And, and Ephesians 6 goes on to say, put on the whole armor so that you can stand firm and never turn around. There's no place for backing up. But the reality is his, his mercy and his grace is thick. There's this beautiful, beautiful fact of the gospel makes no sense. And if you think it does, think about it. You who are nothing, that you were dirt that God chose to make into man and woman, child, a husband, wife, daughter, whatever you might be. He made us out of the dust. And yet he decided that after we'd messed everything up, after we'd broken the world and chose to do what we wanted to do, after we'd rebelled and lived in sin, he decided to send his son. I can't imagine giving up any one of those three boys for anyone in this room. And I love you all but it's not going to happen. Um, and yet God, God who is immeasurably greater than us, you know, people like to say it's like he's a person and, and we're ants. It's not even really close. It's so much greater than that. And yet God, he chose to send his son for us because he loved us. The gospel is unbelievable. It's, it's grace in your life if you think that differently. It's It's his grace grace that that let let you see the reality that he loved you enough to die the death that you deserved. And and so so with with that, that, every day we have have to stand firm in the gospel and even be taking strides towards Christ. And, And Paul is praying here, I pray that your spiritual roots would be firm, that you'd be grounded in faith, that you'd have strength in your heart to perceive every day the greatness of God and that you would know him a little bit more every day. That step by step you would realize that the vast depths of God's love, the thickness of his grace and mercy, that, that you would be overwhelmed by it and yet you would stand firm in it and you would be moving forward towards Christ. That's Paul's prayer for us. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may fill, be filled with all the fullness of God. God's fullness is is so vast it's so complete that we're never going to get to the end of that we're always going to have to be proactive in walking forward and getting to know him more and more and more and that's Paul's prayer and he goes on to say now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Um he's able to do far more abundantly than, than we can even ask or think. So are we asking him? Are we stepping closer and closer and begging, God, save save my brother, save my sister? God, please let me have an opportunity to share with my coworker. Lord, let my boys know you. If there's, if there's an opportunity for me to humble myself before them, I mean, those of y'all that are parents in here, you know you mess up all the time, Lord. Are, are we begging him, God, let me have the humility in those situations to step back and to ask for forgiveness from a three-year-old? That's, that's difficult, right? Um, he's able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask or think. Y'all are, y'all are partnered with us. As Missionaries to Chad, and, and you have other mission partners throughout uh, this country and other countries. Are y'all beseeching the will of the Lord? Are you asking, God, please save Chad? I, I really ask that y'all would join us in that. that. That you'd be praying for the political leaders as they transition. God, let there be um, examples of your glory just instilled in leadership as, as the president changes. God, can you please draw Muslims to yourself in Chad and see churches formed every, every few blocks so that people can walk to a church from their home, that they're accessible and they can know you? He's able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. God, we pray that you would save folks in, in Murphy and in Marble and Andrews in this area, our coworkers, our friends, our family, our children. We need to be beseeching him and, and living out the reality. Uh, he's, he's told us to ask. And it's according to that same power. You know, Paul prayed that we'd have this power and according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in, in the church, in Christ Jesus. The gospel's worth it. I'll just, I'll, I'll share... Uh, a little bit more of our story from Chad and as as I wrap up uh, I know a lot of folks want to hear you know about the people coming to faith and they want to know oh these exciting stories and and we were really blessed to to see some of those things happen and uh the past couple of years we were blessed to see uh Muslims come to faith and and they've had incredibly hard lives because of it um I'm thinking of a, one one young man that came to faith, and uh, some of y'all probably even heard some of his story, but he came to faith, and his family took every one of his possessions, and they took it out into the street, threw it in the middle of the road, and burned it. And they kicked him out of his house, and he pretty shortly lost his life. And then uh, later, his uncle pulled a gun on him and uh, took two shots that, by God's grace, from very close range, his uncle, who's military trained, missed both shots. And, and uh, just incredible incredible stories of God's faithfulness. And there were stories in Chad of, of uh, some of these folks going and, and just praying in the hospitals and, and miracles were done. And uh, the Holy Spirit was obviously working and these groups were being built up. And I remember one thing that's been so hard uh, also in Chad is uh, because there's such poverty and because women are illiterate and undereducated, there's been so little interest among women for the gospel they just they don't have any interest whatsoever and I remember uh one day my our former team leader was in this this room with a new believer and these two young teenage girls walked in and this believer had had a bible out he'd been reading and they they just picked it up and they started reading it in public and they were really interested and they followed that up and and they wanted to learn more so so I say that to say to some extent, we've been really, really blessed to be able to walk in some really cool seasons where we've seen the Spirit of God really working. And yet, at the same time, um, our, our team leader, actually, I, I always felt really bad for him. He took his own assignment last year, and uh, we were, for the most part, the only, only team still on the ground. There were, some, we're really blessed to work with some other uh, agencies Britt and I are with Pioneers, but there's uh, AIM and the International Mission Board and uh, Wycliffe and all these different groups in our city, and and we're really blessed to work with some really great people from even different organizations, but it seemed like they were all gone at the same time, and and it was basically just Britt and I left, and I remember uh, I felt so bad for our team leader because he was able to go to these churches, and he, about the first two weeks, he was sharing some of these really great stories that had been happening, and I'm sure it was really exciting and encouraging. And then uh, I, I basically had to call him and a couple other guys, and I was like, I, we don't know what's going on, but one of the main guys, uh, the leader of, of a lot of this movement, what we do know is uh, he's gotten a girl pregnant outside of marriage, and uh, he's encouraged her to get an abortion. And uh, he, uh, fortunately, there were some Southern church leaders involved in the situation that he had sort of submitted himself under. I say sort of because uh, I'll, you'll hear in the rest of the story. But, um, so they were helping us to walk through it. Uh, but I remember for, for our team leader who'd been sharing like, these exciting stories and was, was like excited, all of a sudden it was just like crashing down. And he was like, okay, I can't tell his stories anymore. Uh, and it was, just, it was a really hard time and really, really taxing. And I'll, I'll share, you know, that guy long story short, I think he's either in prison or, or dead now. Um, he, he really just rejected the accountability of the church and church discipline and um, started to do his own thing. Uh, my wife actually, with that young girl that uh, he had gotten pregnant, we've been able to walk alongside of her, and she's been very passionate to keep the child alive, even though now she's a young single lady with a kid. Um, and she's going to have a really, really hard life. Um, but she thankfully has has loved the life that God has given her the baby and um, my wife's been able to walk through that and at one point this guy was in prison and he asked uh, them to go get some money to help uh, pay for some bail or whatever and I remember my wife stepped in and and she sent me a picture later and uh, basically they were like witchcraft spells on the floor and uh, so he'd been practicing magic and uh, um just some really really dark things he went he went down an incredibly dark path um that story is is by far the most extreme of the situations that we've experienced lately but i'll say in about five different situations with with men that we thought were stepping into leadership as muslim background believers they're like stepping up and starting to lead the church um starting to like encourage fellowships to form and grow um five different situations, there were just these incredible, uh, incredibly disheartening times of just sin, and I mean, one guy looked at our teammate and said,
2: my pride's too important
3: to me to keep following Jesus, and he, and he just left, and he's living in the village with his family now. There's, there's been other things like that, and, and so I share those things to say uh, I mean, we live in a we live in a dark place, and it's difficult, and it's hard, and we covet your prayers because of that. But I know the reality is, discipleship is messy. That's been our mantra, uh, time and time again. And and the the fact is, Paul continuously prayed. He says, "I bow my knees." He got on his knees in a uh, in a, a place before the Lord to just pray constantly over churches that that they might know and be strengthened to know the grace of the gospel because it's so easy when life just gets tedious and hard or um it's so easy to just wash away we used to have uh, snowbird shirts that say uh, be killing sin or sin will be killing you i think it was a john owen quote or um probably someone else in the past too but um that's the reality if we're not active in looking to Christ and putting on the armor and standing firm in praying that God would continuously let us know his grace and his love. If we're being stagnant in any way, we're going to wash away um, the culture and, and this world is, is like a tide or it's like a river that's flowing down. And if, if we stop for one moment to, in advancing or standing firm, we're just going to wash downstream with the world. And that's what these guys did. And, and it's, it's definitely a, uh, it's a worry and a, a fear that we all should have for, for Britt and myself as, as we're living in a hard place. Sometimes the easiest thing is to uh, just relax and, and try not to be missionaries. Um, and we do have to take breaks and things, but we also have to be vigilant. We have to stand ready and, and know. And the reality is the same for each and every one of you. The gospel is worth it. But you have to be looking, and you have to be standing firm. You have to be looking to Christ and and advancing for his goodness, uh, towards his goodness, rather. Yeah. Um, Because it's so easy to wash out. It's so easy to just fall into sin and temptation and wash down with the world these men that we thought were leaders and, and we were so excited about. They did it, and, and I know without a doubt, there's a part of me that wants to judge them. You know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, could y'all not just stand firm? But there's a part of me that knows the, the depravity of my own sin. And again, I, I think I just share a lot of this because I know there's nothing special about Brit or I. You know, we're not superheroes. We're not doing anything that's just amazing. Um, we're trying to walk faithfully every day. and and share the gospel in chad and that's the same call that each and every one of you have without the word chad in it you know you need to be faithful every day and just walk forward and share the gospel here in north carolina and in this region in this area wherever god might send you on work trips or, or school trips or whatever it might be stand firm stand ready so i pray To the God whom every family in heaven on earth is named according to the riches of his glory that he would grant each and every one of you to be strengthened to know that thick grace and mercy to know his love intimately and to just uh, know him I thank you church I, I really do I, I'm so so thankful to be partnered with y'all I'm going to pray and kind of wrap it up um, Britt and I and probably the boys will be in the back I guess as y'all are leaving we have uh,
2: we have like QR codes if
3: you want to you know, put your phone camera on them and it'll give you a link to sign up to our newsletters or whatever you might want to do, or you can talk with us more. And Justin and the other folks, the elders here can tell you how to get onto our newsletters as well and mailing list. Um, But we're so blessed and so blessed to be connected with y'all. Sovereign God, we thank you so much for all that you give us and uh, all you've done for us. We thank you that your grace, your mercy, your love is overwhelming and unbelievable and I just pray, God, that you would get all the glory. I pray, Father, for this church. I I thank you for this building that they're in and and the new location for me. Um, I thank you for the growth of this church and the the ministry that you're doing here, and I just pray, Lord, that you would be exalted uh, within this fellowship, within this congregation, that they would be drawing uh, closer to you day in and day out, that they would hold for their shields of faith and that they would latch on together and hold their faith up and and shine it to uh these mountain communities that they might know you more and more um i thank you so much uh just for the the friendship and the fellowship that's here in jesus name amen
0: if you guys would stand we're gonna sing a song of response before we uh leave this morning Yeah, there we go. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, like Blue and Britt said, they'll be out there in the, in the lobby area, uh, and you can go meet them, talk to them, uh, and they've got those QR codes. If you don't get one of those today, we have the big map in the lobby, and there's the different missionaries listed, and there are cards there. Their card has that QR code on it, so you can scan that and sign up for their newsletter that way too. So uh, make sure you go see them, say hello to them i talk to them a little bit before they head out this morning. I'll pray, uh, and then we'll send you guys out. God, this morning, we thank you for allowing us to be here. God, we hope and we pray that we are encouraged and edified and, in, and challenged with the fact that we are to be stewards of a good gospel in hard places and in not-so-hard places. It does not matter. Your call to us in the book of Acts is to go and make disciples. So may we be obedient to that task. Father, we love you, We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's go in peace.
2: Well, good morning. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain View, and it's good to see you this morning. Um, Thanks for thinking about us, praying for us, and uh, asking about how well our vacation went this morning. Uh, We had a good one. Very, very enjoyable time as a family, and it's good to be back with you this morning. We've got a couple of housekeeping things and a couple of uh, pastoral encouragements that I want to give you this morning before we dive into the scriptures. First of all, the housekeeping side of things. Uh, Today is Family Sunday. We're grateful to have all the kids in the service with us. Now, if you're here this morning and you're new to Mount- Mountain View, welcome. We still do have child care in the nursery as well as for our preschool kids ages 3 to 5 downstairs. So, T wanted me to remind you that that's available to you if you have a child that's 5 and under this morning. Secondly, uh, Kathy Carroll... Uh, Kathy, where are you? She's right here on the front row. Uh, I realize that Jeremy and Julie mentioned Kathy in the announcements, but many of you may not know who she is. Uh, She's going to be taking pictures out uh, in the lobby at the Connection Center for our digital directory. Remember how in the old days, churches used to have like flip through directories and olden mills would come and take professional photos. And now many of us cringe when we look back at some of those photos. We don't do that here. She's going to take uh, some photos outside for that directory. And if you're not part of that, but you are part of Mountain View, please see Kathy uh, after the service. Now, a few pastoral encouragements. Many of you are very familiar with Renewed Hope Ministries and with uh, the ways in which we support and partner with them. Well, they hosted a graduation right here last night, and two guys by the name of Danny and Dylan graduated from the program And it was just a wonderful time of celebration, and I want to encourage you to pray for Danny and pray for Dylan uh, as they walk forward out of that program. They're going to be sticking around for a while, and I'm very grateful for that, and they're going to be helping in a lot of ways around the ministry as uh, they seek to lead other guys uh, who are coming behind them. Second, there's a prayer guide in your bulletin for the mission team that will be leaving on Saturday for Guatemala. Um, if you're in the room and you're going to be on that trip, would you stand please? So Earl and Alan, myself and four others will be heading to Guatemala to do various things. One specific thing that's not listed on that guide that you can pray for us is that the Lord would give us some clarity about particular ways we can serve down there. We're going with another church that's done this for a long time. And we're looking to explore some particular ways that we may be able to branch off of what they're doing and start uh, some work of our own there. So we're taking a small team this time, and perhaps next year, uh, a bigger team, and we'll have some more clarity about some specific things we can get involved in. Now because I'm on that team, I won't see you next Sunday, and I just want to remind you this morning, uh, on Tuesday, November the 8th, look. It's as simple as that. Seek the Lord, allow the scriptures to inform your choices as a disciple of Christ, and vote. Finally, men, uh, I personally want to invite you to the study that we're going to be starting on Wednesday night. This study called Christianity Explored, where we're going to walk through the Gospel of Mark. It'll be a great opportunity, whether you're a skeptic, a doubter, a new believer, or a mature Christian, So, just engage in some good conversations together about who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what it means to follow him. I think we're going to have a great time, and I want to invite you to join us for that. That'll start Wednesday night at 6 p.m. All right, we are in Exodus chapter 20 this morning, and we're going to be talking together about the ninth commandment. We have been in the book of Exodus for several months now, and Weeks ago, we slowed down here in chapter 20 to take a closer look at the Ten Commandments. Something that many of us are familiar with, but something I realize that many of us are not familiar enough with, because these ten words, as they're called, really form the core of what God intends for His people in terms of their way of life. So we're in Exodus 2016 this morning looking at the ninth commandment, and it simply says this: "You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." Father, we ask that you would bless the simple reading and hearing of this verse. And as we dive into it and reflect upon it, that you would give us ears to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. Your word is truth. And our Lord Jesus prayed to you, Father, that you would sanctify your people by your truth. So do that right here in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you have any familiarity with this command at all, you could easily summarize this command with the simple admonition, don't lie. Don't lie. Lying is something that comes pretty naturally to human beings. It's not something that you have to teach a child to do. I can remember one time when my youngest brother was very, very small and he took a pair of scissors at Granny's house and he cut his own hair. And he left several bald patches all over his head. And when my Granny proceeded to ask him, did you cut your hair? His instinctive response was no. In spite of the fact that not long after she was cleaning the living room, lifted up the flap of the couch and there was all of his hair. Under the couch. Of course he didn't. Just like there was one time when I told my middle brother, who had just gotten a pair of tennis shoes, that if he ran through the garden, the muddy garden fast enough, no mud would get on his shoes. By the way, that's what oldest brothers get to do. Then I proceeded to tell him on the other side that if he ran back through fast enough that the mud would stick to itself and come off of his shoes. Like, what kind of lie is that? The kind that an oldest brother perpetrates on a younger brother. That's exactly what kind it is. Needless to say, I got in trouble and I had to buy him new shoes. That was not fun. Not fun. Look, the commandment on the surface is pretty simple. God intends for us to be a people who tell the truth, the whole truth, And nothing but the truth. If the ninth word tells us anything, it tells us that God considers truth to be sacred. Now what is truth? That is, by the way, as Justin read, a question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? Truth is simply that which corresponds to reality. God considers truth sacred because ultimately, he cannot lie. The Apostle Paul tells us in Titus 1-2 that this is exactly who God is. God is truth, and in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, God cannot misrepresent reality. So if Yahweh can't lie and God intends the nation of Israel to bear or to carry his name faithfully with their words and their way of life, then God must intend for them to be a truthful people. Which is exactly what God intends in the ninth word. Now on the surface, the immediate focus of the ninth word is pretty narrow. It essentially called upon a person to bear witness truthfully if they were ever asked to do so or required to do so in a court case situation. In other words, they were not to misrepresent their neighbor but to speak truthfully about what they saw, what they heard, or what they knew to be true about a particular matter. That's what a witness is, by the way. A witness is someone who can speak to a matter that they've seen, heard, or know to be true. In ancient Israel, such witness testimony was the essential ingredient in court cases. Because of this, one could never get a conviction regarding any charge without multiple corroborating witness testimony to any accused crime. Ultimately, this placed a special burden on those who claimed to have seen or to have heard or to know something about a person or a particular situation. Without a doubt, this is why just two chapters over, or three chapters over rather, in Exodus 23, that God expands upon the ninth word in verses one through three. Listen to what he says. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial To a poor man in his lawsuit. Now there are several things out of these verses that we can say were involved in being a truthful witness. Bearing truthful witness, first of all, meant not being party to the spread of false information about a person. Boy, oh boy, isn't that something we need to hear today? Bearing truthful witness also meant not being party to the wicked intentions of those who wanted to harm an accused person regardless of guilt or innocence. In other words, don't be party to a group of people who have already decided the verdict before the case has even been heard. Third, bearing truthful witness sometimes meant as God says here, going against the crowd, particularly if the mob is out for blood and seems to have little concern for the truth. Now, that's hard to do because peer pressure is the thing, the mob mentality is the thing. Being truthful required being willing to be impartial, being willing to step back and to consider the facts, and to desire only that the truth come out and win out. By the way, it is incredibly interesting. When you look at Exodus 23, 1 through 3, and you simply lay what God is saying there over the midnight trial of Jesus, which ultimately led to his crucifixion. Everything in those three verses that God says don't do, the religious, the religious leaders of Jesus' day did in order to trap him and kill him. In the end, the sacredness of truth is the only thing that could ever guarantee a just and fair community, which is what God intends through the ninth Word. He is, after all, a God of truth, and he could not intend otherwise. Apart from the sacredness of truth, the powerful intimidate, the wealthy bribe, and the mob persuades the wavering to turn away from the truth. Here's the thing. The majority of us will never be called upon to testify on behalf of or against any of our neighbors in a courtroom setting. The closest we will ever get to anything like that is watching Tom Cruise confront Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson stand up and yell back at Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth. Great movie, way. I imagine some of you have been in that kind of situation, but the reality is most of us have not, and most of us will not. So the question is, what does it look like to be a people who embody this word outside the courtroom and in every setting? And really, here's the bottom line for all of us. God expects us to be people of truth. To be people of truth in all of our relational interactions to in fact bear one another's names with the utmost respect and to to consider carefully both how we speak about and how we speak to one another. Have you ever thought about the fact that most of our interactions with one another are speech interactions? Whether face-to-face, whether over the phone, whether through email, text message, video chat, or some other means of communication, you and I talk to one another. And in a very real sense, this is only natural because we are made in the image of a God who what? Speaks, that is core to who God is. So the ninth word, it teaches us That all of our speech to and about one another should be characterized by truth. Is yours. Is mine. Let's be a little bit more specific, shall we? If you and I were to expand on God's expansion of the ninth word in Exodus 23 and we were to apply those instructions to our everyday interactions, what kinds of questions should you and I be asking ourselves if we're going to be people of truth who embody this command as followers of Christ? Think about these with me. When something about another person is shared with you or with me, what do you and I do with that information? When you and I interact with someone and it is clear through their words that their intent is to demean or to destroy the individual that they're talking about, what do you and I do with that potentially damaging information? When the mob is fired up And feelings outweigh facts. Do you and I possess the courage necessary to step back? To ask the right questions, both of ourselves and others. And to actually turn around and go against the flow if we determine that the mob is more out for blood than they are out for truth. This is easy. When the mob's on the other side, it's more difficult when the mob is your own tribe. And you say, "Uh uh-uh, nope. Can't go that way. The Apostle Paul tells us exactly what we should do in any and all of these situations in Ephesians 4.25. And if you remember from last time, in that particular context, Paul presents five things. That should characterize those of us who are in Christ, who have laid down the old life, and who have taken up new life in Christ. In Ephesians 4.25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. We are part of the same family. We are part of the same family. Community. In fact, when I lie to you or about you, it doesn't only hurt you, it hurts me, and it hurts us. That's essentially what Paul is saying. So the question is, does the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, characterize our relationships with one another? That's where we want to narrow down our focus today. You know, often... We smile and we act like a relationship is fine when it isn't. Why do we do that? Oftentimes we're too afraid to approach the issues between us. Oftentimes we're afraid that the truth will spoil the relationship. Meanwhile, the relationship is actually being spoiled from the inside out, because we're refusing to address the issues between us. Many, many times, because we think addressing the issues between us will ruin the relationship. A lot of irony. We gossip about one another. The rumor mill gets going and it feels good to be in the know. It feels good to be inside the circle and to know things that other people don't know. Forget the fact that you and I may well be in the know about something that's completely and totally false. We complain about one another. Typically, In the presence of someone, we are confident is sympathetic to our plight. Why? Because we know full well that the person we're unloading on will tell us why we're right and why the person we're complaining about is wrong. Man, I'm so thankful that my wife will not let me get away with this. It is frustrating at times, but it is also very, very helpful. Sometimes we flatter one another, giving compliments and supposed encouragements that are actually really nothing more than disguised, self-centered attempts to get the person we're complimenting to do what we want them to do. That is not genuine encouragement. That's called manipulation. Oftentimes, we are guilty of seeing a brother or sister walking in willful sin. And rather than speak the truth in love, we just shut up. We just remain silent. And in our silence, we refuse to bear witness to the truth out of fear rather than bearing witness to the truth out of love. Brothers and sisters, I wonder what kind of foothold the devil has on Mountain View Church Because we choose regularly to embrace falsehood in our relationships rather than truth. I wonder what kind of havoc the devil is wreaking right now in our relationships with one another. Through all of the subtle ways that we disobey the ninth commandment. The ways that we hide from. The ways that we deceive the ways that we manipulate, the ways that we gossip about, the ways that we demean and flatter and slander and misrepresent one another. I have to imagine that the situation is more serious than you and I care to admit. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is bringing a situation or a relationship, or a pattern of speech to mind right here, right now, this morning, can I encourage you to do something very specific today? Before the end of the service, as we do on the final Sunday of every month, you and I are going to come to the Lord's table. And we're going to commune with Christ through the bread and the cup. But what we often forget is that when we come to the Lord's table, we don't simply come as individuals. We come as a community. We come as a family. And when we come, we are charged both by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul to come discerning the body of Christ, discerning the fact that we come in fellowship with one another, which means if there is something between you and another person in this congregation and you come knowingly without repenting of it and committing to deal with it, then you and I come in disobedience. So can I encourage you, if you know, if you know that there is something between you and another person in this church family, will you move to address it with the Lord? And perhaps even with that person, if they are here today, before you come to this table. In John eight forty four. The Lord Jesus says several things about the devil. He says, you are of your father, the devil, speaking specifically to the religious leaders. And he says, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And notice, he has nothing to do with the truth. Why? Because... The truth isn't even a category for him. The truth does not exist in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Or one translation that I really love says, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. For he is a liar. And he is the father of lies. That phrase, the father of lies, has an important history. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, the devil planted the seed of the very first lie in human history. He told Eve that she wouldn't die if she ate the fruit from the one forbidden tree in the garden. Even though that God had clearly told Adam and clearly told Eve that they would in fact die if they did eat from it. In other words, what did he do but misrepresent reality on a massive scale? When Adam and Eve bit into the fruit, or actually well before that, when they bought the lie and the lie took root and it bore fruit in their lives, when they took of the fruit almost immediately, they began to reflect the character of the serpent. You see, they were created to image or reflect the God of truth who had made them, but when they chose to succumb to the serpent's lies, they immediately began to reflect his character. Having fallen for his lie, they became immediately susceptible to more lies, and they became liars themselves. Instantly, they saw the need to lie to one another and to lie to God about their true condition. Ever since that fateful day, you and I have been prone to believe lies. You and I have been bound by the lies of the enemy, and we've been prone to tell lies because we are more reflective of the character of the devil than we are reflective of the God who made us. And we've been prone to live lies and tell lies, fundamentally because we wanna make other people believe that we're something that we're not. It's why Adam and Eve first hid behind fig leaves. It's why they hid in the trees. It's why they hid both from one another and from God. They, Wanted God to believe something about them that wasn't true. Or not to find out, in fact, what was true about them. We tear other people down so that we can build ourselves up. Hiding behind those fig leaves, hoping that no one will discover the ugly underbelly of sin that haunts our hearts and our lives. Look, I want to tell you something this morning. If you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ shed on the cross of Calvary for your soul, you have a new father. The devil is not your father anymore. And you know what? Your father knows everything about you and he loves you anyway. There is no need for fig leaves. There is no need for hiding behind trees. There is no need for excuse making or blame shifting. The God of all truth knows everything about you and he can, in fact, represent reality about you better than you know yourself. And through his son, Jesus Christ, he says, I love you. And I want you to be part of my family if you are not. If you and I are in Christ, we have no reason to sew fig leaves into fine-looking religious garments with which to try to cover over the truth about ourselves in hopes that we can somehow fool other people and in ultimate hopes that we can somehow fool God God invites us all to come into the light where he will remove all of our vain attempts to hide and he will clothe us in the righteousness, the perfection of his son. And he does that as a gift. Not because you and I somehow earn it, or somehow fool God by our supposed goodness into giving it to us, or somehow twisting His arm and manipulating Him to do so. He gives it as gift. And as those who are in Christ, as those who stand before the Father, who knows everything about us and loves us anyway, you and I have no need to demean others, to slander others, to flatter others, to mean-spiritedly misrepresent others so that we can somehow build ourselves up. We have no reason at the end of the day to justify ourselves by standing on other people and trying to convince ourselves through various kinds of lies that we are better than them. Instead of following the serpent, let us now follow the one who says to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No No. one No one can come to the Father but by me. He is the pathway. He is the one who accurately represents the reality of who God is. And he is the one through his death and resurrection who gives eternal life. This reconciled and renewed relationship with God to anyone who asks. So rather than following the lead of the serpent, let us now follow King Jesus. In 1 John 3, 8, we're told that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, if the devil is the father of lies, and the devil seeks ultimately to destroy through deceit, then it stands to reason that one of the most important things Jesus came to do is bear witness to the truth as a means of dismantling the lies of the devil. This is, in fact, exactly what he told Pilate before his crucifixion. John 18, 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you said that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to what? bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, everyone who comes from truth, everyone who is born via the spirit of truth does what? Listens to my voice. So in telling Pilate In allowing Pilate some insight into why he had come, Jesus says very clearly and unapologetically, I came to bear witness to the truth. I came to reveal the heart of the Father. I came to reveal the way of salvation for all who are lost. And I came to create and cultivate a people who will then embody that truth By listening to my voice and following me. A people who have the spirit of truth living within. A few chapters prior in John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus talked a lot with his disciples on the final night of his life about the ministry of the coming Holy Spirit. And in verses 15 to 17 of chapter 14, he said these words, If you love me you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of what? Truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and one day he will be in you. Now, it is a remarkable thing, friends. We're going to get to the end of Exodus eventually when the very presence of God takes up residence in the tabernacle. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, need to understand that the very presence of God has gone from tabernacle to here. To here. And Jesus promises to his disciples, that when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit of truth will then lead us into all truth. Which means that apart from the presence of the spirit, you and I are still bound by the lies of the serpent. Friends, we need the presence and the power and the help of God's spirit forever to be people who are able to discern the voice of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is also going to, and has been, ever since he sent the Spirit, create a people who abide in his word and experience freedom from the lies of the devil. We're in the Gospel of John a lot today because truth is one of the major themes of that book. In John 8, 31 and 32, we read these words. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed it, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I want to camp out here for just a moment. You and I need the Spirit of God in order to comprehend and apply the revealed truth of God. But Jesus says, if you and I don't abide in that word and through abiding in that word or living in that word come to then know the word then we will never be set free from the lies of the devil now let me walk that back for just a minute let's let's reverse engineer that thing jesus says the truth will set you free at the end of verse 32 How does the truth set you free? Back up to the next phrase. The truth will set you free if you what? Know the truth. How do you and I get to know the truth? By abiding, living, taking up residence in the scriptures. Friend, you cannot hope and I cannot hope to experience freedom from the lies of the evil one if we aren't abiding in the truth of the scriptures if we aren't living there, if we aren't memorizing it, and don't say you can't memorize it. You can. You can. Even if it's just a verse at a time. My wife is so wise, y'all. And I'm incredibly grateful for her wisdom. And she's gotten to the point in life where whenever she meets with someone who's struggling with anything, her first two questions are, A, are you spending time in prayer? And B, are you spending time in the scriptures? The majority of the time, people struggling with whatever they may be struggling with, are A, not spending time in prayer, and B, not spending time in the scriptures. Jesus says, if you and I would be free, we must know the truth. And if we would know the truth, we must build a home in it. Friend, if you would be free, You will not be free until this book masters you. And it will not master you without you spending time in it. Finally, Jesus is present through his spirit to build a people who tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Not because fundamentally we do that to earn something from him, but because of who he's created us to be in him. So Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore put away lying and speak truth every person to his neighbor because we are members of one another. Whenever you're reading the scriptures and you come to a therefore, you should ask what it's there for. Very easy. And it points directly back to the previous paragraph where in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, Paul says these words. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk or live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. If or assume that you have heard about him, and we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To do what? To put off the old way of life, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you and then to put on the new self Created after the likeness of God in true holiness and righteousness. So what has Christ done through the presence of his Holy Spirit but restore unto his people the image of the living God so that now the serpent is no longer the one whom we follow but we are being remade to reflect the very image of God who is reflected in Christ the Son. The very next verse after this paragraph Is Therefore, put away lying and speak the truth to one another as members of one another. You and I are to put aside the things that characterized us before we came to Christ. Lying being one of them. And we are to embrace as the spirit works in us and renews our minds through the scriptures, the telling of truth to one another. The telling of the kind of truth that builds up, the telling of the kind of truth that helps us make progress in the gospel, the telling of the kind of truth that doesn't demean or destroy, but seeks to uplift and encourage and help someone move forward. The kind of truth that helps someone to see the lies that they may still be bound by. The kind of truth that points them to Jesus who can set them free. We're to be that kind of truth-speaking people. But in order to be that kind of truth-speaking people, we got to know the truth. And in order to know the truth, we got to what? Uh, abide, live, make our home in the truth. And we've got to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to take whatever lies we believe, to dismantle them and to replace them with the truth of who Christ is, what he's done, and what real difference he makes in the lives of his people. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning For the opportunity to unpack and to reflect upon the Ninth Commandment. On the surface, it seems so simple. And in some ways, it seems not to apply directly to us. After all, as I said, many of us are never going to end up on a witness stand in a courtroom. But Lord, we're looking at it through too narrow of eyes if we don't see an expanded obedience that is required of us through Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for each one in this room this morning who is indwelt by your spirit, the spirit of truth, that you would help us become people of truth. Help us become people who lay down flattery, people who lay down reviling, people who lay down gossip. People who lay down demeaning speech and help us to become people of unvarnished, compassionate, courageous, kind, and love-filled truth in our relationships. Earlier in Ephesians 4, Paul says this is how we're going to grow together. Father, for that person in the room this morning who who may still be bound by the lies of the evil one, chances are, if they are, they don't even know it. It's essentially what it means to be lost. I pray that as the word has been sown this morning, that the, the evil one would not have sway here to distract from what has been said or to steal away what has been said before it can take root and begin to bear fruit in the lives of your people. God, I pray for that one who is struggling right now because they've begun to see via the light of your Holy Spirit that they've been living lies, bound by lies, and they've been telling lies just to keep up appearances. They don't have to do that. Rather than running from you, you invite any and all to come to you and to come clean about all of it. And you will cleanse us, wash us, forgive us, dress us in the righteous robes of Jesus, your son, welcome us into your family, give us a seat at your table. God, what an incredible father you are. May that one who's far from you meet you right here, right now, today. And as we move into a time of coming to your table, may you meet us here. And may you remind all of us who come of the truth of the gospel, that we come this morning not of our own merit. We come not because we've paid somebody off so that there's a seat for us. We come in and through Jesus, the son who paid everything for us through his broken body and his shed blood, that we might be set free from sin, and from its guilt, and that we might now be part of your family. May this indeed be a special time of fellowship and communion with you and with one another. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now just a couple of instructions as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Once I ask you to stand and the worship team starts to play, When you're ready to come, scoot across this way and come down the center aisle like this. And there will be folks here at the table. If you'll come now, if you're serving this morning, uh, there'll be folks here at the table uh, to give you a piece of the bread and the cup. And you're welcome to take it right here where you stand or to take it back to your seat and to commune with the Lord and to talk with him and to take when you're ready. You don't have to wait for instructions. From me. Secondly, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't have a genuine relationship with him, don't, don't come up here and take the bread and the cup this morning. This is a sacred meal reserved for people who are in relationship with him, people who are in fellowship with him. Instead, I would encourage you this morning, take Jesus, take Christ. If you don't even know what that means, I'm going to be right here, and I would love to talk to you about that. All right? Let's stand. And when you're ready, you're welcome to come.